Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, a first-hand look at the impacts of war. Congressman Josh Gottheimer discusses his recent trip to Israel. It's a very complicated conflict, It's and they are put, refusing to let innocent uh, Palestinian civilians leave areas, so they actually put them into harm's way. Also, lowering the voting age. We recognize that these 16 and 17-year-olds have a say, have a voice, have an interest. Let them have, let them let them have that say at the ballot box. The Newark City Council considers allowing students as young as 16 to vote in school board elections. Plus, on the move, millions across the country hit the roads and skies as experts anticipate a record-breaking holiday travel season. There's a lot of people right now, and the plane was definitely crowded. And addressing loneliness. One researcher shares solutions as a new study finds more than 300,000 New Jerseyans will spend their holidays alone. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Joanna Gagas, in for Brianna Venozzi. The United Nations passed a resolution today to help bring more aid into Gaza. The agreement will appoint a senior UN official who will help coordinate aid to the more than 570,000 people in Gaza who are facing starvation. And so far, more than 20,000 Palestinians in Gaza have been killed, according to Gaza's health ministry. The United States notably abstained from the vote today because it felt the UN did not decisively condemn the attack by Hamas on October 7th. The resolution did call for all hostages held by Hamas to be released immediately, and it did not call for a ceasefire at the urging of the U.S. New Jersey Congressman Josh Gottheimer visited Israel this week and just returned yesterday after what he describes as a nonstop trip. He's here with me now to discuss some of his biggest takeaways. Congressman, great to have you with us tonight. Now, you just returned from leading an official intelligence committee trip to Israel where you got to speak with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, some American intelligence officials, and some family members of some of the hostages uh, held there. First, I just want to start with what did you hear in terms of Israel's strategy for their next steps in this war? Well, first, thanks for having me. Uh, it was an intense uh, 18 hours or so on the ground, also met with Mossad, the director of Mossad and Shimbet, which were the intelligence agencies. Um, my focus was, of course, as you'd imagine, um, how we achieve the objectives that have been laid out by uh, by President Biden uh, to get the hostages home. And I know the uh, that's shared by the Israelis, including the seven Americans uh, who remain hostage, um, to do everything we can, of course, to crush Hamas, uh, which continues to wreak havoc in the region, fire uh, rockets at Israel, our key ally, and then thirdly, to get humanitarian aid into Gaza, um, uh, especially dealing with um, uh, what what we know continues, which is Hamas using innocent Palestinians as human shields. So uh, the my conversations all were around those objectives, right? How do, how do we get the hostages home, um, and, and, and how do we crush Hamas and, and deliver humanitarian aid, and of course, keep 
um, uh, every uh, uh, aggressive act as targeted as possible uh, in that effort. Yeah, did you hear from Israel that commitment to keep this a targeted attack? As we know, 20,000 Palestinians have been killed. And as you said, Hamas right now is using Palestinians as human shields. And they and I saw that, like, so you, you can see it. You've seen that. I saw how sophisticated their tunnel system is, literally going six stories down. Um, uh, and, you know, what happens is Hamas jumps out of the tunnels and fires at uh, IDF, Israeli soldiers, then goes back into uh, into the tunnel system. It's a very complicated conflict. It's and they are put, refusing to let innocent uh, Palestinian civilians leave areas. So they actually put them into harm's way. They're using hospitals and mosques and schools um, as, as places where they're keeping weapons and they they purposely keep innocent people there in the places where they should be evacuating them. So it's it's incredibly difficult. But what I did hear from Israel, from the prime minister directly, is how what lengths they're going to to make sure they're targeted at Hamas, at the enemy, at the terrorists who, of course, raped, burned, decapitated, uh, committed the most heinous uh, acts I've ever seen um, to uh, Israelis and to Americans and others on October 7th. Congressman, should Qatar right now be playing a stronger role in helping to negotiate the release of more hostages? Absolutely. It's something that I, I talked about uh, at great length and in many of my conversations um, was the role of the Qataris. And, and yes, I believe in that the Qataris who have relationships with Hamas actually have Hamas living in their country. Um, they should be, uh, they're the ones with the relationships. They, there should be a lot of pressure on, on them to get this done, to say to Hamas, it's time to release the hostages. Uh, uh, you know, that is a key part of actually making sure we end this war. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I put a lot of responsibility directly on them to get it done. As I'm sure you know, the U.N. Uh, just passed a resolution today to get more aid into Gaza. The U.S. abstained from that vote. I'm just curious what you believe the U.S. strategy should be right now in terms of supporting Israel moving forward. You have to support Israel. She's our key ally who was attacked by terrorists who seek to do us harm as well. And, and they're all backed by Iran, uh, Hamas is, Hezbollah in the north, um, Palestinian Jihad, the Houthis who are continuing to fire in the Red Sea at, uh, at ships. Um, and, and as you know, out, out of Iraq, out of Syria, there's been firing at our bases, at American bases, and of course at our, at our key allies, including yeah. Israel. So I, I think we have no choice but to make sure we fight back and stop terrorists. Congressman Josh Gottheimer, great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Meanwhile, Israel's agricultural sector is in jeopardy because farmers are struggling to keep up with the workload. That's because many foreign workers returned to their home countries after the Hamas attack, and many Israelis were called to fight in the IDF. Well, that's where some pretty special volunteers from New Jersey have stepped in to help. Raven Santana has the story on how they went to Israel to lend a helping hand. There was one, Seb Adom, this is a red alert to get to your get to your bomb shelter but it it passed so that that was nerve-wracking i had never experienced that before hannah Barron had originally flown to israel to support her parents after her mother was in the hospital the teenac resident said after a few days of caring for her mother who was making a speedy recovery she decided to turn her attention to volunteering seeing jerusalem so quiet was very hard to see because it's really lively, not hearing children on Sabbath when, you know, kids are running around was was shocking. Barron says she spent two weeks volunteering on small farms in Israel that were in need of help. 
I volunteered picking pomegranates. I planted garlic at another farm and I weeded and pruned strawberry plants. And I also work for this organization called Yad Sara and they lend out medical equipment to those in need. And there is now a dire need for wheelchairs, for soldiers, for those who are injured in the horrific, heinous slaughter um, on October 7th. Barron is not alone. She's just one example of how New Jerseyans have come out in full force to help aid families who have lost their homes and belongings in the Hamas terror attack. One of the biggest challenges is navigating where volunteers can stay or who to help once they land in Israel. No one wants to go to the borders. No one wants to go five kilometers from Egypt, but that's where the farms are. So we have groups, they're not huge, but we have groups, I would say 10 to 20, that we send out every week to the farms in the south. We have, it's the one place where I have a location. I have lodging, because the rest of the country, the hotels are full with evacuees. Tourists, really, it's not a time to bring in hundreds of thousands of tourists, because our every piece of property we have, even Airbnb, people with their own homes, and they live abroad, have opened up their homes for the evacuees. So you have to find places if you're going to bring people in. That's where Beverly Luckfeld comes in. Luckfeld has coordinated with hundreds of volunteers from around the world to send them to farms where there is a labor shortage. And she did most of it all through a WhatsApp group. It's maybe 30 families and each person has a plot of land of their own. And so when we go down there, we're working for many individual farmers. That's really where it's critical because he maybe has a son, maybe he has a son-in-law helping him, but right now they're all at the front fighting. And it's not just physical support that's needed, it's also emotional support. Rabbi David Seth Kirshner, senior rabbi at Temple Emmanuel in Kloster, has taken a group of 18 members from his synagogue to Israel, where they visited families whose loved ones were taken hostage. We spend the day meeting with families whose loved ones have been held hostage since October 7th. They've had no proofs of life, no discussions, they see them, they have no, no information about their welfare. That's been horrible. Um, we've met with Israeli leadership, some who are part of the military, some are part of the government, and talking about the challenges of how do you fight a war when you know you have hostages, and how do you negotiate for hostages when you're fighting a war. We've met with families who've lost loved ones, and we've sat in their shivas in Israel. We've gone to the hospital to see wounded soldiers. We've taken tours outside of the area of Gaza in homes that were demolished and burnt out or people were murdered. Um, we have seen some of that de devastation firsthand. He is now giving 100% of the proceeds from his new book, Streams of Shattered Consciousness, to help trauma victims in Israel who witnessed or survived the recent events since October 7th. Israel was in an unprecedented and unmitigated nightmare. It still is in it. So being by its side and letting Israel know that people around the world, Jews and non-Jews, people who care about civilization and about goodness, are by their side and there to help them matters. And that's why we're doing it. And that's why we're going to keep doing it. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Raven Santana.
Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone because they may be able to vote soon. At least in Newark, where the city council moved forward a resolution that would allow 16-year-olds to vote in their local school board elections. It's not a new idea. In fact, 16-year-olds have this voting right in other states. But as senior political correspondent David Cruz tells us, Newark is leading this effort here in New Jersey. It looks like 2024 could end up being the year of the teenager in New Jersey politics. In the state legislature, there's a move to allow 17-year-olds to vote in primaries if they're 18 by election day. 18 is the legal voting age in New Jersey. But in Newark this week, a first in the state measure that would empower 16 and 17-year-olds to vote in school board elections got unanimous support from the city council and the administration. Mayor Baraka and the administration is fully supportive of that legislation. We believe that the uh, students in this city should have a right in how they are educated, in the manner in which the schools are run, uh, and their right to be involved in just the, in the electoral process and in civics in general. The New Jersey uh, Institute for Social Justice is working with several other groups to move the legislation forward. Anil Patel is the law and policy director for the group. She spoke in support of the measure this week, calling it an important countermeasure against forces that would curb access to the voting booth. She says young people have been on the vanguard of social change. We watched them um, voice their concerns on social media, in traditional media, on the streets. They're out here talking about Black Lives Matter. They're out here talking about gun violence. They're out here talking about climate change and any number of other issues that they care about. And we often watch them and we're like, oh, you know what? It'll be great when they actually have a say here. But they can have a say. With a budget of over a billion dollars, you'd think the school board might attract more voter attention than the recent turnout of just over 3%. But one council person says empowering 16 and 17 year olds, over 7,000 of them enrolled in city schools, should be just a start. I don't have a problem looking at the possibility of engaging 16 and 17 year olds, but I think I also believe that if we're going to move in that direction, then we should also figure out ways to enable uh, residents who are, you know, regardless of their status, who represent the majority of these this this new population that encompasses our North Public Schools, a, a voice in the process. And, and let's look at municipal elections, right? We do have uh, a large uh, percentage of uh, uh, legal residents who may not be citizens yet. Other cities around the country have enabled and allowed uh, those individuals to participate in municipal elections, and, and that's something that I want us to look at as well. Ramos says he also supports making the current student member of the Board of Ed a full voting member, which is not the case right now. The current ordinance will have a second hearing and vote early next month. If adopted, it could be in place for the April school elections. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. The Attorney General's office has launched an investigation into the conduct and training practices of the Clark Police Department after a series of allegations were made against some of the officers on the job, including the chief of police, the police captain, and a sergeant. Now, these range from abhorrent language used to degrade crime victims and suspects, racially influenced policing and hiring practices, 
deprivation of civil rights, cover-ups using public funds to hide misconduct, and abuses within Clark's internal affairs that failed to follow proper protocols when allegations were first raised. Now, in 2020, the Union County Prosecutor's Office and the Attorney General's Office took control of Clark's Police Department, firing its leadership and launching an initial investigation after it came to light that audio recordings existed, including some of Clark's mayor, Sal Bonacorso, using racially charged anti-Semitic and misogynistic language. That initial investigation revealed new possible criminal conduct that the AG says requires further investigation, prompting this announcement this week. Now, these possible violations fall under New Jersey's law against discrimination. The AG and the Union County Prosecutor are still overseeing all operations of the Clark PD and did make a point to say in a recent report that these allegations do not reflect the commitment of most officers within the Clark Police Department who do their job honorably day in and day out. Well, if you're watching this, hopefully you've already hit the roads or hopped a flight to wherever you're going this holiday season. If not, well, you can expect some big crowds at the airport and traffic on the roads. The Port Authority says we're in the middle of a peak travel period lasting from yesterday until January 2nd. Melissa Rose Cooper talked to travelers today to get a sense of the holiday rush just days before Christmas. Hundreds of people waiting patiently inside Newark Airport as they look out for their luggage to hit the baggage carousel. Some even taking the opportunity to take photos with loved ones while others, like Samantha Podless, passing the time with her furry friends, Ace and Bomber, after flying in from Georgia. It's been good. Um, there's a lot of people right now and the plane was definitely crowded, but doing it alone with these two, it could have been worse, so it was good. Podless is used to traveling for the holidays to see her family in Newburgh, but says this time was a little different. Definitely busier this year, I would say. Um, but I didn't. We didn't have dogs last year, or the last two years, because I moved away three years ago. But this year was definitely busier. The last two years were more smooth sailing. She's one of millions of Americans traveling during what AAA is calling the busiest holiday travel season in years. Spokesperson Tracy Noble says 2.6 million New Jersey residents are expected to get out of town this year. That's up 2.7% from 2022. We are actually seeing uh, travel up across all modes of transportation for the year-end holidays. So automobile travel is up 2.1%, air travel is up 5.1%, and other modes of transportation is actually up 16.3%. So a huge jump in those traveling by train, bus, or cruising. And as you can see, things are pretty busy here at the airport, but travelers say the crowds aren't stopping their excitement from spending time with their families. We'll be here for New York for three days and then in Philadelphia to visit family for three days and then back home to Florence. Noble attributing the increase in travel to a slight drop in overall prices. Well, we've seen air prices come down a little bit compared to where they were last year. So people took advantage of those cheaper prices. And we've, we've also seen, seen some relief at the gas pump. So prices are trending much lower than they were a year ago. Over the past couple of days, they've fluctuated a little bit, but there are still plenty of stations across New Jersey that are selling gas at below $3 a gallon. Another reason why driving remains the top mode of travel. We've got 2.4 million New Jerseyans that are going to be driving to their holiday destination. That's 90, almost 90% of those that are traveling. And it still remains the easiest way to move a family. So if you are a family of four or five and you're all going to the same 
same place, it's much cheaper to throw everybody in the car than it is to pay for airfare or, say, cruise fare. We know that our roadways are going to be extremely busy. So if you can, if you are an early bird or a night owl, leaving early or late is your best option um, or taking the road less traveled. So route yourself off the major highways, take a scenic route. It might be longer, but you have a better chance of staying, you know, moving forward instead of sitting in traffic. And same goes for the airports. If you are flying to your destination, get to the airport much earlier than you originally would. And whether you're hitting the road or the skies this holiday season, Noble says it's always best to practice a little extra patience to make sure everyone makes it to and from their destination safely. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. We generally think of the holidays as a time for gathering, being with family and friends, but new research shows that more than 300,000 New Jerseyans will spend this holiday season alone. And loneliness, especially during the holidays, is actually a growing mental health issue that impacts millions and can actually lead to higher mortality rates. Senator Andrew Zwicker recently wrote an op-ed on the issue, pointing to legislation that would offer more support here in the state. I'm joined right now by Karen Fingerman, professor of human development and family sciences at the University of Texas at Austin to talk about what you can do if you're feeling lonely. Dr. Fingerman, great to have you with us. Now, your work really focuses on loneliness and how people can create meaningful connections around them. For those who may not have uh, a nuclear network around them, what can they do? How can they make connections? Thanks for inviting me and giving me an opportunity to talk about that. So when you Think about your social network. Most of us are very aware of our close ties, you know, that we have friends, that we have family, or we're aware that we don't. But when we as researchers look at who you interact with all day, you spend a lot of time with what we call weak ties. So that might be your neighbors who you're, you know, you wouldn't call a friend, but you see them when you're out for your walk. It might be the barista that knows your order that says, oh, extra whipped cream, right? or even the guy on the treadmill next to you when you go to the gym. So these are people who are part of your life that you might not be as aware of. And so we think of them uh, when we assess who's in your social network. Those would be people that we would include that you might not be as aware of, and they're still important. So do those people then act as a perhaps a solve to loneliness, or do we need to have more meaningful connections in kind of more in-depth ways in our lives to prevent loneliness from happening? Well, actually, both sets of people matter, and they serve different functions, if you will. So your close ties are the people that may give you emotional connection or a sense of belonging. And they may also be the ones that would show up and, you know, get you to the doctor if you're sick. But the people who do the best have both sets of ties. So the weak ties give you stimulation and novelty. You may have noticed during COVID that at the end of the day, if you were with your close ties, you didn't have a lot to talk about. You know, I took a snack in the kitchen. Yeah, me too. You know, um, there wasn't a lot there, but talking to someone outside the household was stimulating, was still interesting. At now, the same time, we can feel very grounded by those people. So they're familiar. They give us a sense of this is, you know, my life and I expect the same things to happen on a daily basis. People might hear the issue of loneliness and say, well, that sounds like a sad problem, but in reality, it can be a deadly problem because we know that there are increased rates of mortality among people who are lonely. We know that in one study, it said that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day in terms of the impact it can have on your health. 
What is the impetus on us, on, on people in, in the community to go out and look for, seek out those who might be lonely? How do we help? In that case, and it's the same thing if you are lonely, we know that volunteering, that giving to others is very beneficial. It has sort of the counter evidence to that, that it's sort of like giving up 15 packs of cigarettes. There's a tremendous bonus from volunteering. So both if you want to alleviate other people's loneliness, but if you don't want to be lonely, you can counteract that effect. Maybe you're not the type of person who likes to start a conversation with the barista, but look and find a group that's volunteering and all of a sudden you're there and you're with other people and you're doing something collectively that feels good, that feels meaningful. And that's the antidote to loneliness for you and for the other people. Dr. Karen Fingerman, this is great advice, especially around the holidays. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk with you. In our Spotlight on Business report tonight, Patterson has relaunched its Guaranteed Income program, giving hundreds of residents a monthly payment to reduce their financial hardships over the next year. The first payments will go out by the end of this month to 200 low-income residents who will each receive $400 a month over the next year, those payments coming to them on a debit card. Now, the residents who will receive that money were selected in a lottery that Patterson ran in cooperation with the University of Pennsylvania's Center for Guaranteed Income. Now, the first year of the program saw 110 residents receive the payments that Patterson Mayor Andre Saya says they used on groceries, utility bills, and rent. The mayor also mentioned how one woman was able to have her first real Thanksgiving dinner thanks to the program. A favorable inflation report led to stocks closing up for the eighth week in a row. Here's a look at the closing numbers. The markets will remain closed on Christmas Monday. And that's going to do it for us tonight. But don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Joanna Gagas for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great holiday weekend, and we'll see you right back here on Monday. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors, of our schools and streets. The PSEG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community.